0: From the book of Isaiah, chapter 42, starting with verse 1. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. This is what God the Lord says, the creator of the heavens who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. To open the eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or praise to idols, see the former things have taken place, and new things I declare, before they spring into being, I announce them to you. The word of the Lord.
1: A reading from Acts, chapter 10, starting with verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, and to justify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. The word of the Lord.
2: A reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3, starting with verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, "'I need to be baptized by you,' And do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. The gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you all this morning. Good to see all of your faces on this, the second Sunday in Epiphany. Um, Last Sunday, as we celebrated the Feast of Epiphany and we told the story of the Magi, I told you a little bit about this tradition in the church where during the Christmas season in homes, they set up the nativity set, but the Magi, they put far away. (laughs) until Epiphany when they come close and they draw near because we celebrate this idea that the light of Christ has gone out into all the world. Um, I also talked to you a little bit, I was a bit vulnerable with you last week and talked to you a little bit about some of the dreams and the plans and uh, the desires that we have for this church, for this community. Um, We talked about our desire over this next year, particularly to um, begin to look for those who are, um, outside the walls of the church, those who don't attend church, don't, those who aren't part of a home, and really encourage you to begin to embody invitation. What does it mean to invite those people, to be, to be open, to take the risk, and to actually say, hey, are you part of a faith community? We wanna invite you into our church talked about the desire for this church to grow and how we are. this church's value is never gonna be defined by its size. We're defined by the fact that we worship God and that's who we are. And yet we want more people to know about that. So we shared that this last Sunday. Um, Today, the story that we tell today is the story of the baptism of Jesus, that story that we just read. And I don't know about you, but when I read the gospels and I read all the different stories in the gospels, this story sometimes comes across as a little fuzzy for me at first reading. Um, Jesus was baptized. Awesome. So what? <laughs> what does that mean? What does it mean that Jesus was baptized? This story is so profound. It's so deep. On some level, it's so trippy. It's, you've got a voice coming from heaven. You've got a dove descending. Like, what is happening here? It's beyond what we could expect that it's easy for us to get lost. We're only given four verses in our lectionary passage today. That's it, four verses in this gospel passage. But we see John baptizing in the Jordan River. Now, we've talked about this a little bit before. What is John doing when he's baptizing people in the Jordan River? Well, in the Bible, the story of God's people, there's always been this thing about water. As you read the Bible, you read the story of scripture, you're gonna see water play a significant role all throughout the scriptures. From the very beginning, we see God creating out of the water. So water is this deep, murky stuff, and God calls creation out of it. In the ancient world, water was scary. Now, I think it's still kind of scary today. (laughs) The oceans, right, are a scary place. I was watching the other day one of those discovery shows where they like zoom in on sea creatures that maybe you haven't seen before, and they show you every little bit about it. There is probably nothing in the world more scary than that. You see something like this guy, Right here, right? Like, that's scary. Like, like, you can see in the ancient world, even if they didn't see that creature, right, that the seas are super creepy. Like, they believed that the sea in the ancient world was the source of everything chaotic and evil. You can take that down, please. Um, <laughs> but they believed that the seas, everything chaotic, everything evil, everything scary came out of the sea. That was the belief, there was this deep fear of the seas. And it was believed that there were a lot of different gods and all of those different gods were competing for authority. And your hope was that the God of the sea didn't win (laughs) because that God was the God of the underworld and the darkness and those things that are chaotic and scary, chaos and evil would reign in that situation. But the Genesis story in the Bible communicates that the one God is the Lord of the seas, The Lord of the chaos, the Lord of what is murky. In fact, he creates out of it. He sees the chaos and the murk and muck, and he calls creation out of it. In the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, we see this theme of new creation springing up out of chaos. God is doing something new. He's taking the chaos of the broken world and he's doing new creation. He's calling something out of it. But it's not just that. It's not just the creation out of the murky darkness. The fundamental story of the Hebrew Bible, so you have creation, but then you also have the fundamental story of the Hebrew Bible is what we call the, old, the story of Exodus. You probably know this story. The Hebrews are in slavery in Egypt. God raises up Moses and delivers them. But then, after they're delivered, they're trapped. So they find themselves with Pharaoh's army on one side chasing after them, and then the Red Sea is in front of them. So they're pinned in between those, they're trapped. They have ultimate death and destruction at the hand of their enemy on one side, and they have death and destruction at the hand of a more existential enemy, the sea, the darkness, the chaos on the other side. So the question is, how are they gonna make it through? Like, where are they gonna go? Well, if you know the story, spoiler alert, God parts the sea. He parts the Red Sea. He delivers them not from the water. He delivers them through the water. That's what our God does. This past week, Lucy and I watched The Prince of Egypt. It was her first time seeing this film. And I always forget how powerful, I shouldn't because I'm a pastor, but I always forget how powerful the story is for somebody that hears it for the first time, like the story of the Bible and what it means to them. That's why it's so fun to talk to the kids back there and they're just learning Bible stories. And they're like, what? (laughs) Like this happened? So we're watching this and she only wanted to watch this movie in the first place because she saw the trailer and they turned water into blood and she thought that was like super cool. I don't know what that's about. But throughout the film, she kept asking. So she's watching this film and then she's going, what's gonna happen? What's gonna happen? Like, where's he gonna go? And she's asking me, what's gonna happen? I'm like, just watch, keep watching. But then we get to the part where the Red Sea parted and her jaw dropped completely unexpected. Like what? They're pinned on one side and the other and the sea just parts? But this story you can see was so fundamental for Israel, is so fundamental for Israel because it reminded them God delivers out of chaos. He parts the chaos and delivers them through the chaos. Okay, so what's that have to do with John's baptism? Why is John baptizing? Because John is baptizing because Israel has forgotten their story they have forgotten the fact that they were delivered through the seas. In Jesus's day, they were busy with their own agendas, how to conquer Rome through ritual piety. Some said through military strength. Some said through appeasement, just don't tick Rome off too much. It was necessary at this time, if you were a Gentile person, if you were non-Jewish, and you wanted to serve the one true God, There was an experience that you had to go through that was a kind of baptism. It was a going through the water. Why did you have to experience it? Because you didn't have that as part of your story. You didn't have that as part of your history. You didn't have anything like the Red Sea if your family didn't have that kind of story. So you need to go through it. You need to walk through the seas. You need to have that experience. So what John is saying to the people is you've forgotten who you are. Remember who you are. You're the people of the one true God who parted the sea and delivered you through that. And more importantly than remembering who you are, more fundamental is remember who God is. Remember what he does. In Jesus' baptism, Matthew shows us that Jesus is this new Israel. He is the one who stands in Israel's place. God is doing something through the chaos and through the waters here as Jesus is baptized. When we participate in Christ's baptism, when we're baptized, that kind of thing happens to us. We are joining new creation, we are joining new exodus. We see life from chaos, freedom from slavery. And Paul says that if anyone is in Christ, this is how kind of how it reads in the Greek, okay? It's my a translation here, but um, if anyone is in Christ, bam, new creation. That's kind of how it says. We translate it as if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. But actually, if you read it, it's more of if anyone is in Christ, new creation, right? The bam things, I added that later, but the old is gone and the new has come. So John here is baptizing, but then Jesus says he wants to be baptized, all right? I forgot to tell you my point, so I'm gonna back up just a little bit. The first point in that whole section is, in baptism, God is doing something old and something new. In baptism, God is doing something old and God is doing something new. Second point that I wanna talk about. In baptism, Jesus stands in solidarity with us. Jesus stands in, I'm gonna tell you what that means. John is baptizing, but then Jesus says, I wanna be baptized. John knows this doesn't feel right. That, that doesn't feel right that he would baptize Jesus. So he says, you should be baptizing me. But Jesus says, no, it's actually proper for me to be baptized, which is confusing because Christian tradition teaches us Jesus never sinned. All right, so we believe Jesus never sinned. So why, if somebody has never sinned, If somebody has never turned to false stories, if somebody's never forgotten their story, he never tried to conquer Rome through violence. He never tried to appease Rome. He never turned to any counterfeits. He is the one who embodies Israel's story. Why would he need to be baptized? Well, the answer is that Jesus was baptized for us. He stands in our place. Jesus plunges himself into the chaotic waters of creation and brings about new creation. He didn't have to do this. Our God didn't have to step into our world. He could have stayed at a distance. He could have remained far away. Our God is free. He can do whatever he wants to do. And yet our God chose solidarity. He chose to link arms with us, to stand in our place. What does that mean for us today? Sounds like a great philosophical point, but what does that mean? There is nothing that you go through in life that is too chaotic for Jesus to link arms with you. There is nothing in your life that you go through that is too foreign for him, that is too far away, that he thinks is too icky, stands too far at a distance. Jesus, in his life, we see in the gospels, he was not only tired and weak, like we get at times, and hungry. But he was also beaten, mocked, abused, left by himself, and killed. Today, that place where you stand that feels so hard and so challenging, because of Jesus, you can say that that hard place, that difficult place, is sacred space. That's one of the things that's so radical about the Christian tradition. The hard places, the chaotic places, the places that seem like they don't have hope, we can say sacred space. That's what that is. God is there too. When we're baptized, we don't just do that as an individual event. It's not just that we have an individual experience with God, even though we hope that's part of it. We're called, when we're baptized, to stand in solidarity with the world as Jesus stands in solidarity with the world we join Jesus in the chaotic waters of the world. He stood in solidarity with us, so we are now the solidarity people. (laughs) We go and stand with the world and link arms with them. And through plunging ourselves into the world's chaos, this is why the church can't ever have this posture of the world is icky and far away and bad and we stand over here and have our own cloistered community. No, we plunge ourselves into the chaos of the world because we believe that new creation is coming about. So in baptism, something old and something new. In baptism, Jesus stands in solidarity with us. And then finally, in baptism, God reveals who Jesus is. The the word epiphany means like revelation or appearing. That's like when people say, I had an epiphany. It's like, well, something was revealed to them, right? They're experiencing something. The stories that were given in this season are ways that God revealed himself to people. So the star in the night sky, God revealed himself in the star. The baptism of Jesus, this voice from heaven and God descending like a dove, God, Jesus is revealed for who he is. The wedding at Cana, Jesus's first miracle, he's revealed as this miracle worker. In this story, something unexpected happens. Just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were open to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, the beloved with whom I am well pleased. One of the things we see here is God affirms Jesus's identity. This is God's son. Come to make us new. Come to stand in solidarity with us and come to invite us into the divine life of God. That's who this is. Now notice, God calls him beloved before Jesus has done anything. Jesus hasn't done miracles. He hasn't preached This is the very beginning of his ministry. He hasn't even endured the temptation in the wilderness yet. Before all of that, Jesus is declared as the beloved, not for what he's accomplished, but simply for who he is. Matthew, I think, is pushing on something in this story. He's nudging something. You are invited into the divine life of God. You're invited into that life. And in this, you are given a new identity, not because of you or your accomplishments, but because what Christ has done. He is the true son of God. He is the beloved one. And in him, you are divided in, invited in. So that means that you have a new identity. You are God's son or God's daughter. It's a mark that because of Christ, we're part of God's family. Think about your families for a minute. It's not God's design that children earn their way into families, right? Your kids, those of you that have kids, you, you don't look at them and go, well, if you if you follow our family rules enough, we're gonna renew your contract as part of our family next year, right? No, I mean some horrible parents do that, right? And that's don't don't do that. But that's but that's not but that's not God's design, right? God's design is you are part of the family, you are. A family is supposed to be a place of unconditional love, right? And this is not to say the fact that God affirmed Jesus's identity. That doesn't mean Jesus was insecure about his identity. We don't have a a Jesus who's wringing his hands going into baptism, going, I hope that God, the Father affirms of me. No, that's not what's going on. I don't think that's true. This wasn't for Jesus, this declaration. It was for everyone else to see who Jesus is. To see that this is his identity. And because of who Jesus is, because of God's great love, which has stepped into our world, our identity as God's beloved son or daughter is secure. It's secure. I think it's appropriate now um, for me to, I wanna talk for a minute about baptism here at Sacrament. We've had some baptisms recently, it's been a beautiful thing, it's been a wonderful thing. Um, And I've talked to you, I've talked to several of you a little bit about, like, Um, how at our church we have some people who choose infant baptism or will choose infant baptism, some people who will choose baby dedication and they want kids to be older. So I thought I would just share a little bit about kind of my journey on how I see baptism here at our church. Um, We've had a baby boom recently. So as your pastor, I think it's appropriate for me to kind of share this at this time to you. But I believe that with, with all of my heart that something real happens at baptism. I can't fully explain it. But I believe when we are baptized, there is something that changes, something about new creation, new life, new identity. Baptism and Eucharist have always been affirmed by just about every Christian tradition as the two primary sacraments of the church. That's why we always make a big deal about that here. Those will always be huge deals for us. Eucharist and baptism will always be celebrated. And baptism is a stepping in or being called into the Christian faith, okay? The entire church has always affirmed this, has always affirmed when a person comes to faith in Christ, pretty much the first step is baptism, like get baptized. Every, almost every Christian, there's a few of them that don't do baptism, but almost every Christian throughout the world would say baptism, yes. Once somebody becomes a Christian, they should be baptized. And all are welcome to baptism. It's another thing in common. There's not a test that you have to pass to be baptized. It's not a test of holiness or of anything like that to be baptized. You are invited as you are. Now we do a baptism preparation class, but if someone walked off the street today and said, I wanna be baptized, we would do it. We would baptize them, right? Um, the belief, this belief that nothing's required for baptism. It's a sacrament of hospitality. It's a sacrament of embrace. This belief that nothing is required is the reason why throughout most of church history, much of the church has baptized even infants. Uh, It's embodying the reality that you didn't do anything (laughs) to earn your baptism. You did nothing. I always tell people, if we have to fully understand the sacraments in order to receive them, none of the us should receive them. <laughs> if I have to fully understand communion before I receive it, I shouldn't receive it this morning, right? Um, because we're all, it's mystery. It's something we're trying to discover. It is God's act, not our act, which is so freeing. We don't have to have it all figured out or perform it perfectly. It's God act, God's act, not ours. So over time, we will, throughout time, we will have some people come forward to baptize babies. And that will be part of who we are, okay? Part of who we are, I wanna explain. I think when some of us hear about infant baptism, we think that's a Catholic thing, a Roman Catholic thing. And that's immediately what I hear from most people. That's a, a Roman Catholic thing. But that's really just the beginning. It's also Methodists, Presbyterians, Lutherans, Episcopalians, all baptize infants. That's, that's part of their tradition. The major reformers, Luther and Calvin baptized infants. Billy Graham's kids were all baptized as infants. That may shock some of us, but that is true. C.S. Lewis, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the list goes on. I am not trying to convince you of that. What I'm trying to do is take maybe some of the weirdness out of it for you, some of the foreignness out of it for you. But there are also other traditions, other traditions that have made the point that we don't see one infant baptized throughout Scripture. We don't see it. And that's true. Completely true. These traditions have emphasized the importance of a conscious repentance in order to be baptized. Baby can't consciously repent, so they shouldn't be baptized. They should wait until they're older. One of the most interesting elements of this debate, because you guys can tell that I am somebody who tries to kind of pull different traditions together. One of the interesting things about this debate is how the traditions use Acts chapter two. Acts chapter two, 38 says, Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So those who are proponents of that they need to be old enough to be able to consciously repent would say, see, you need to repent, right? You need to repent and be baptized. That's what the scripture says. Kids can't repent and so can't do that. But then verse 39 says, the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all who the Lord will call. So the other side says, see, it's for the whole household. (laughs) It's not just for people at a certain age, it's for the whole household. And we see signs in the New Testament of this thing called household baptism, where a household would come to faith and their entire household would be baptized, um, implying, not stating though, that little ones are included. So those who would wait, want to wait until they're older, that's called believer's baptism, And um, it's a big part of religion in America. I mean, that's kind of the predominant perspective in the South in the United States here. Many of the early Americans saw that what was going on is baptism was really tied in Europe with baptism in the church was really tied with citizenship of the state. So there was this really weird thing where people would get baptized and that made you a citizen of England or of France or something like that. And it would be like, All right, that's the early Americans were like, nope, we're not doing that, right? So that's where um, believers' baptism saying, I want this person to have a choice when they get older came out of that. So there was an emphasis on individual freedom, which means that the individual must decide for himself or herself. And these traditions usually do baby dedications instead of infant baptism when a child reaches, and then they'll do baptism when the child reaches a certain age. We have traditionally done that here and will continue to do that here along with the other. But the reason why we've done that is it's leaned on, that's my background, it's believer's baptism. I grew up in the charismatic church and that was our tradition. In fact, though it's the minority position historically, believer's baptism has become so prevalent here in the US that infant baptism sometimes sounds weird in our culture. In fact, Ashley said it explicitly the other day, I was talking to her and she said, people think infant baptism is weird. I said, yeah, that's kind of true, right? (laughs) So here's the thing. At sacrament, and I hope this is a common theme, we want to focus on what the church believes in common. What is it that the church historically believes in common? Well, the church has believed baptism is really important. In fact, it's necessary, okay? So we affirm that. Part of that too for us means that as we practice, we don't here as a practice do re-baptisms, What do I mean by that? If you were baptized in another Christian church, no matter the method or the age that you were at, you are baptized. We don't need to do it again, okay? It's done. If you feel like something's changed in your, and let me just back up for a second. Part of that is me trying to honor the tradition that you've come from, that that church matters, that that's important and that's valuable. And they're part of the church too. If we started saying, well, we do it the right way, so you guys, once you did it there, then you're gonna come here and we're gonna rebaptize you, that would be against everything we're about, right? We're in this together. Now, if you feel like something's changed in your heart and in your faith, if you say, that wasn't really meaningful for me back then, but I, um, something's changed in me for now, and you want a renewal of your baptism, there's a service that we do that's a renewal of baptismal vows, And that is beautiful and we can do that and it's wonderful. But it's acknowledging that you wanna step more fully into your baptismal identity that you already have is what that is. Um, It's not being baptized again. So we'll probably have people in the life of our church who wanna practice both expressions or either expression. If we dedicate a child here, that is a prayer of blessing for that child and for the family. And in that practice, we anticipate that they will one day be baptized and we celebrate that. If we baptize a child, when they're about 13 years old, we will invite them to do a confirmation. What does that mean? It means that they express that they have made a decision to live into that baptism. We will usually baptize by immersion for adults or for children of a certain age, okay? We probably won't dunk your babies, okay? Um, We will probably sprinkle them or use, there's kind of a a, a thing that you pour over their head, okay? There are traditions that do dunk the babies. If you search for Greek Orthodox baby dedication, there's this Greek Orthodox priest who he takes the babies and he flings them in and it's it's almost violent, all right? Uh, Anyway. Um, And at both dedication and baptism, we anoint the recipient with oil. What that does is it connects the two events, okay? So whatever they are, and at confirmation. So if a baby is baptized and then they're confirmed later, they're anointed with oil at both events. If a child is dedicated and they're baptized later, they're anointed with oil at both events, okay? I think this is one of the beautiful things about being the kind of community that we are. Much of the church says you're either this thing or you're this thing. And we actually say, well, we have people on different perspectives on this and we rejoice with all of them, okay? And I wanna encourage you to rejoice with all of them. If you don't get the infant baptism thing and we have an infant who's baptized, do your best to celebrate with them, okay? If, if the vice versa is the case, do your best to celebrate with them. Okay, so I wanna talk for a minute about baptismal identity here, just as we close, Um, this week, I found myself wrestling with some significant anxiety. I hope it's okay for a pastor to say that to you. Um, I've never been diagnosed with anxiety, but I think it would just be a matter of one psychiatrist appointment, and we'd get that taken care of. (laughs) Um, It's been a long time since this happened to me, but I, this week, had some times I just couldn't sleep, and I was pacing the floor, and uh, we're in the process of buying a house, and I think some of those feelings are normal to accompany this, but this is a big hurdle for us, and we're so close to clearing it. <laughs> and I've been waiting this week on one more document in the mail. I gave them everything they needed, right, and everything, and there's one document that I've been waiting on, and I'm not sure if it was going to get here in time. So I'm pacing the floor and I'm kicking myself about past decisions. If I was more organized, if I would have foreseen this earlier, then, you know, all of this could have happened. And, and my struggle this week was a mix of anxiety and shame kind of together, um, I also realized that all this was happening basically the same day when I'm hearing that Iran had launched rockets on US forces in Iraq, and so there's some background things that are going on that I'm sure contributing to this, and it makes me realize there is so much about the world I can't control. I just can't. I can't do it. It was manifesting in physical anxiety, but really, for me, was a lack of trust. And I asked myself, what's wrong with me? I haven't had this kind of anxiety in years. Like, I thought I was free of this. And God gently reminded me that I'm wrestling today with some different demons. I'm putting that in quotation marks because I'm not sure they're real demons (laughs) or what they are, but wrestling with some different things than I have before. Um, In the past, I've wrestled with things like professional inadequacy, fear about the future, grief over family, control issues, but I've never wrestled with this kind of thing. And I had put too much value in this. And I started defining my success as whether I could be a homeowner or not, as silly as that sounds. Um, As I prepared this message, I feel like God was saying, You're free. This is something God has spoken to me over and over again, but I needed this week to hear it afresh You are free. You are not bound to this definition of who you are, no matter how the results are. You're not bound to any results in your life. You're not bound to what other people say about you or their perspective. You are free. How could I possibly say that? Because in Christ, I am part of a new creation. The messiness of this world, of my own inadequacy of everything, God has made and is making something new. You are part of that new creation. The chaos can't change that. Even if you feel like you're pinned in with an army on one side and chaos on death on the other, you're free. Also, Jesus stands in solidarity with me. When I was pacing the floor, Jesus is pacing with me. Sometimes when we're in those situations, I think we think he's way up in the sky <laughs> and I'm pacing back and forth and going, why aren't you fixing this? Why aren't you doing this, right? But this week I was able to picture he's actually pacing with me. He's saying, I'm, I feel the same feelings you're feeling. I'm walking through this with you. You're not alone. The exhaustion, those of you here, the exhaustion that you feel after working really hard and then also caring for a child, that's real, God is with you in that. The loneliness that you feel, that's real, God is with you in that. The pain, he feels it too. And then finally, I can say this because I have a new identity. I'm not primarily defined as a homeowner, a financial wizard. My, my sister and my brother and my dad are all what I would call financial wizards. They're just good at that. And I go, where did I miss that in the gene pool? I got the hair part because my my brother and my dad are both bald, but but I didn't get the other part. Where did that come from? But my worth isn't defined on that. My worth's not defined on my role as a pastor. (laughs) Praise God. In Christ and because of Christ, I am God's beloved son. In Christ and because of Christ, you are God's beloved daughter and son. You are loved. This reality, new creation, solidarity, and identity leads us to remind the world God is moving, God is with us. So think about how we internalize that and we go, our identity is new, we have new creation, God's in solidarity with us. But think about then how God calls us to be that to the world, to live that new identity, to point out that new creation, to stand in solidarity. This is good news that our world desperately needs to hear, desperately. I have a prayer that I wanna close us with, and I meant to put this on the screen and I forgot. So um, I'm just gonna pray this over us rather than us speaking this together. And I I wanna pray pray it over us three times. Um, And and this is kind of a reorienting prayer, um, prayer to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit um, that really, I think, can help be foundational for us. So why don't you close your eyes for a minute? As we offer ourselves to God today, we do so humbly. We do so recognizing that he is the source and that he's done something in our lives, whether we feel it or not, and that he's leading us on mission and empowering us towards something. Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, set up your kingdom in our midst. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Holy Spirit, breath of the living God, renew me and all the world. Pray this again. Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, set up your kingdom in our midst. Lord Jesus Christ, son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Holy Spirit, breath of the living God, renew me and all the world. One more time. Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, set up your kingdom in our midst. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Holy Spirit, breath of the living God, renew me and all the world. Amen.